Sonic State Protocol. Coming up in this week's Sonic Talk, we take a look at Steinberg's CMC mini modular USB controllers, the wonders of MIDI pipe, or is it just me? And Avid's Mbox listening test, plus Roland's R26 six channel portable recorder. Sonic Talk is brought to you by MacProVideo.com. Uh, save 20% on all downloads by visiting sonicstate.com forward slash MPV and by Yamaha. Check out the latest Pocket Track C24 and W24 recorders. But first, let's take a look at the competition results. Uh, you may remember we have actually got a competition running for the theme tune for the Sonic Talk podcast show. We've had several submissions. I'm not going to say who they're by, but I'm going to play you a couple. Here's the first one. Sonic State. Sonic State. Sonic State. What's called? Closely followed by the second one. Really enjoying these, actually. Uh, just to let you know, you don't actually have to use the Sonic State sample. Uh, I've included that in the download on the competition page if that's what you want, but you really don't need to. And remember, the winner will win a fabulous head torch <laughs> as uh, modelled by Dave Spears and Rich Hilton in uh, previous episodes. Here's the third. And also, uh, you get to be on the show and tell us a little bit about how you made the piece of music. There's a competition page where you can check out all the episode, all the entries, and uh, please do stay abreast of that. And the competition will finish, I believe I, I put October the 20th, so get your entry in by October the 20th. This is the last one, very nice ambient affair. Just in today, in fact. Sonic State. Great, and now on with the show. Sonic State Protocol. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sonic Talk number 236, coming to you live as ever, uh, Wednesday the... What did I say it was? The 28th of September, uh, going to be on iChat and I, you know, all MP3 downloads uh, on Thursday, tomorrow, and also... Uh, you're now seeing all this uh, fancy video switching, which seems to have gone horribly wrong. But anyway, I'm, I'm using a new setup this week, so if I'm slightly distracted at times, it's actually designed to make me go easy, make it easier. So, hello, welcome everybody in the chat room, uh, sonicstate.com forward slash live at 4pm on a Wednesday. Come and join us. We've got a big, healthy, live uh, chat stream coming past, and also a video stream that you can watch uh, and comment on. Help us. The chat room, we call it our super turbo brain. It sort of kicks in when we need it most. Where were you when uh, I forgot to press the record button on the first take of this show, though? <laughs> Never mind, you can't obviously see that. I can't hold you responsible. Anyway, that first chuckle there is Mr. Dave Spears from G4 Software, who's joining me in the studio. Uh, there he is, uh, in all his uh, full DV co- co- uh, glory, uh, as opposed to... Uh, uh, he's green, Unshaven. I'm red. Green, red, green, red. Anyway, Dave, <laughs> how are you? I'm very well. I've just come down to pick up my controller, which has been uh, with you, and then went to Future Publishing, and it's so big that they said, could you pick it up? And I said, yeah, because I've been without it for two and a half months, and I want it. So Excellent. I thought I'd call in and see you. So I'd annoy you. 
having a lot. No, never annoying. It'd be great to, always <laughs> great try. to have you. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, did I say g4software.com? And also, we got some guests on the Skype there. And oh, it seems we seem to have uh, Mr. Rich Hilton there from hiltonius.com. How are you doing, Rich? Very well, thank you. Very well. Jolly good, and I'm glad to have you aboard there, and you're back on the CAD mic. Has something changed in, in, the, in your office there? Have you changed your camera shot? Have you put more discs on the wall or something? There seems to be a slight difference in your background. No, maybe not. Nope. Must be something. Nothing's like, changed. Must be something. Like, anyway. Have my... Uh, ah, yes. You have my your, own, your own, own controller back there. Controller. Anyway, welcome. Hiltonius.com, you can find all things to do with Rich. Uh, Rich, of course, uh, producer, engineer, studio guy for Rich Hilton, play, uh, for Nile Rogers, plays with Chic on a regular basis. So once again, thank you very much for joining us. And over there on the left, we have Gaz Williams, songsurgeon.co.uk, joining us from Bristol, where he performs amazing feats of production skills, engineering and bass playing, songwriting, all those things. How are you, Gaz? I'm brilliant, thank you. And um, I've been on my iPad quest still, ah. I'm afraid to say. <laughs> but I just wanted to say quickly, because I think it's very interesting. There's some thing, the things that really interest me are things that have never been possible before. That always interests me, especially from the musical point of view, that really, you know, you should be able to either make music that was either impossible to make before or was just too difficult that no one ever bothered trying. So... Uh, and I'm finding using the iPad as a MIDI controller over Wi-Fi controlling soft synths on my studio computer to be a really, really, really interesting and exciting area of uh, development, really. And uh, just the one I wanted to say, this one here, Sound Prism, which ah, yes. you know, has been covered on the show in the past. When you play with this and its output in MIDI, it outputs every touch on a different MIDI channel. So oh, you can wow. like play a chord. And it'll be out on one MIDI channel. I haven't got it rigged up at the moment, stupidly. But the second finger then, as you touch, will output on another MIDI channel. And then when you start to slide your fingers around, like in full polyphonic chords, you get these most incredible, incredible things. So it's polyphonic, uh, polyphonic aftertouch, my, It's not polyphonic aftertouch. It's just, you just slide it around. Because when you, you can choose with this interface to, with a single touch for it to kind of be playing... Um, you know, groups of notes. Ah, okay. But then, so if I'm moving one group of notes around and add another MIDI and then a third one and then a bass as well, all on different MIDI channels, it just just within a one hand and as you move it around, just get the most incredible textures and melodic and interesting stuff going on. That's my tip of the week. Thank you very much, Gaz. And, and also we have non-Eric from musotalk.de. He's joined us again for another week. I can't believe it. We must be so great. Although I think, I think there must be, a, I think there might be a little bit of uh, industrial espionage going on here. He wants to see how we do our things here. I know. Anyway, how are you? How are you, non-Eric? I'm fine. Excellent. Glad to be back. Uh, there's a topic today uh, that is, could be interesting for your listeners and viewers to discuss with me. It's the audio challenge that uh, Evan did because we did our own challenge a couple uh -huh. of weeks ago, and that was pretty interesting. And uh, for Gaz, I just tested the Elise's I.O. Doc Pro ah. for the iPad, and there could be some interesting stuff for you in uh, yes, we have one here. I think uh, I like. I actually can say we we've we've tested. Dave is in fact using it. He might be able to sport it there if he holds it up to the camera. 
There we go. He's using it as a sort of glorified stand for the iPad, <laughs> just because it's a handy, mm-hmm. nice handy uh, point. Anyway, um, <laughs> let's go back to Morgas. That other chuckle you heard there is PJ Tracy, PJ Tracy Sound, uh, joining us there. His iconic icon. How are you, PJ? PJ Tracy, Emmy, Emmy-winning musician, composer, studio owner, pianist. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Very, very happy to be here, and it's wonderful to see hands. Yes, it's, it's nice to have them for two weeks running yeah. <laughs> and there they are in all their glory. Mm-hmm. So, um, Hands, knees, and bumps are Daisy. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And, and I just, I just want to say I am uh, as ever impressed at the runaway freight, rate, uh, freight train that is the ever-increasing production value of Sonic State. Well, I'm glad this you enjoyed is, it. This is fantastic. Although I did forget to press record, obviously. That was a little bit of an oversight for me. And I am going to get a bit befuddled here because I've got lots of <laughs> buttons to press. I've got nine faders and 18 buttons. And more than 18 buttons. Lots of buttons, anyway. So, uh, But once again, thank you very much for joining. Anyway, welcome uh, to everybody, and thank you very much. And, of course, we have a quite... This, I think, is probably one of the most interesting announcements um, for, for a little while. So I'm going to play... My name's Kieran. Like most DAW Hello. users, you might have thought about what the perfect control interface would be. As we all know, the best solutions rely on simplicity. That's the basic idea behind Steinberg's new CMC series of modular controllers. Easy to use, elegant, extremely flexible, yet functionally very powerful. With the CMC series, you can choose from a range of modular controllers, each designed to give control over different aspects of Cubase and connect them to create your own personalized controller system. You can begin with one of the six different controllers and expand your system with additional modules right up to a full studio controller bank. Let's take a look at our new controllers in more detail. This is our CMC channel controller. It's a hardware version of the Cubase channel controls with dedicated buttons combined with a touch-sensitive panel that controls the fader and is backlit to show the volume level. Use the buttons to toggle functions like inserts, EQs, sends, mute and solo for the selected channel. The illuminated pan knob indicates the current pan setting. The shift button gives you access to even more functions like final volume adjustment and function key commands. The CH puts the most often used Cubase right. function. Anyway, I don't think we're going to have all of that in its entirety, but nifty idea or what? I really like the look of this. If I just show you a couple of, we'll, we'll quickly have a look at the other models. We've got the CH, which is the channel. Uh, we've got the FD, which is the fader bank. Uh, got the quick control here, which looks kind of interesting. It's got eight eight uh, virtual pots. Uh, we've got the PD, which is like drum pads. This has got uh, velocity and pressure sensitive pads, 16 of them with various different modes. We've got the transport control and the AI thing, which is the Cubase way of you hold your mouse overneath, over the um, parameter and you can use a big knob to control it. It's also got volume modes and various other kind of fine parameter access. Pretty damn nifty. I'm guessing, PJ, you're probably most excited about this, being that you are actually a Cubase user, right? I do think that it's an interesting concept. Um, There's a couple of those little controllers that look uh, quite intriguing. Um, The drum pad uh, controller uh, specifically, I I kind of of like. I've been looking at uh, a lot of the uh, alternatives in the market and uh, trying to decide which one is right for me. And now here's uh, another one. But yeah, it looks it, it looks really cool. I think this is a this is a neat idea. However, um, 
Steinberg, this isn't the first time Steinberg has tried something like this. Um, I think actually in the last shot of that um, marketing piece, there was a picture of one of their previous controllers surrounded ah. by um, dust. A couple of these little, a couple of these little guys, and I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, how how successful this will actually be. I, well, the one thing that's interesting know. from my point of view is, you know, they're all priced between 135 quid and 160 bu- uh, quid, which is probably under 200 dollars. You know, around the most expensive one being uh, about 200 dollars, I think. And it seemed, you know, it's interesting that you said that you thought that the uh, the pads were the ones. I, I was thinking, you know, for me, it's probably the fader bank and the quick control, which has a lot of assignable control. So there's obviously something for everybody here. And uh, I mean, obviously, the only downside for me is that I don't actually use Cubase, so it's not going to fit right in for me. But I'm guessing that uh, I don't know it's it's got a lot of uses for all sorts of people. I mean, Hans, are you uh, you being in the German way and probably have privy to some of this stuff? You've probably already reviewed them, right? No, uh, they're not out. They're not available yet. But I placed my order with Steinberg because I think it's uh, the most intriguing thing about it are two things. First, obviously, it's modular. So no more complaining about, oh, I need more faders. Oh, I'd like to have more of these controllers or this. And also, uh, I've been using a logic control for a long time, a Mackie Control MCU. And what's bugging me about that is it's such a big piece of hardware that is actually very hard to accommodate for on a desktop, you know. So it really eats up, chews up a lot of space. Whereas these little toys, they're hopefully not toys, will be um, e- easier uh, in terms of uh, using space. And uh, yeah, I mean, the question is, uh, will will it work with the touch faders? That's maybe a real fader. Yeah, Again, I was wondering about I'm that because sure. these, t- these touch faders are kind of uh, LED uh, strips, I guess, or, you know, segments of LED that look a bit like meters, which I think they some of them double as meters as well that you can uh, – a touch control. I think, um, if I remember correctly, I think Novation have something similar on their itch controller, if I remember correctly. So, I mean, it's not unheard of, but, yeah, I wonder how well it will work and whether it feels like it's going to have the same – process yeah. uh, incidentally and, and, and well, i think the, they're the, trying to uh, sorry oh, go. i'm sorry uh, um, and the, my my list, my uh, user talkers their major complaint was actually the price which i thought was reasonable at about 140 150 euros per piece but of course it adds up but yeah. i think it's it's at the end of the day it's still okay because you can choose the, only the stuff that you really need Oh, well, that's right, and multiples of them. I wonder if there's actually a notional limit on how many you can put up. PJ, sorry, you were going to uh, – you, you wanted to add something there. Oh, I was just thinking that they were trying to appeal to um, those of us and maybe the younger generation as well that is used to using touch devices. You know, over the, over the past five years, we've gotten so used to using – um, touch devices that I think these, the form factor and the, and the touch fader, um, implementation seem, seem to be directed entirely at that kind of user. And just thinking, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't really give this a whole lot of thought, um, because I watched this this morning, but just sort of in, in process here while I'm listening to Hans, I am actually kind of intrigued by these products and, and might look, get, give a closer look at them in in the way that they're modular and how um at in during the intro of the show gaz was bringing up that 
um, using the iPad as a MIDI controller has sort of opened up a whole new way of, of uh, interacting with sound. I could see how these might do the same thing, especially if they're highly editable, which it seems um, they are. I mean, overall, I think uh, generally um, a touch interface is so superior um, for music to anything else we've been tr trying to do, you know, even with controllers and mices and everything. I'm, I love playing around with my MS-20 on the iPad, and it's so great to be able to control three, four parameters at the same time. And, I mean, it's not going to be longer than maybe one or two years, and we're going to have 24-inch touch screens with quad or eight-core processors. And that's gonna that's gonna be it, you know. We just forget about the rest. Yeah. Nice. Uh, well, uh, Rich, I'm imagining. I mean, obviously, you. I don't know if you are a Cubase user, but if you aren't, uh, I mean, I'm sure these things are going to be able to be mappable via uh, perhaps little utilities, perhaps certain like like one I'm uh, going to be talking about a bit later on. Is this going to be something for you? They look very nice. I thought it looked like a really nice product. If it if the build quality feels like what I think it's going to want based on what it looked like, and if it's a little bit more robust than say the Korg microcontroller stuff, then yeah. And uh, for Cubase users, it would be a boon. What, depending on how it interfaces with my more recent DAWs of choice would depend on whether or not I would be interested in one personally, sure. but they really do look like nice products. And I think it's a very smart thing as Hans pointed out to make them, small and modular and allow the user to configure his own desires and buy them, you know, 200 bucks at a time as, as he goes along. And, uh, it just really makes a lot of sense to me as a product. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Can I jump in? Of course you can guys. Sure. I, I mean, there's a few things I think about this. Uh, one, I think that with it being absolutely door specific, being designed for Cubase is brilliant for, for the end user, obviously for Cubase users. I think, uh, trying to map it and use it in other pieces of software is always going to be a bit of a compromise. But I think when a company markets something that is specifically for the door, like for instance, Akai with the APC 40, et cetera, you know, um, and I've used one of those and it's brilliant. The APC 40 is brilliant because, you know, everything just does exactly what it's meant to do because it's designed for that particular piece of software. So I think these things, you know, will be lovely because of that fact, you know, that all the buttons will just work and, um, you know, that, that's a, a very appealing thing. So much so that when I was looking at that, I was thinking, oh, at the moment, I am teetering on the edge of going back to Cubase, going to Cubase <laughs> version 6 at the moment. I am perilously close. And my Reaper buddies. Six is awesome, buddies. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yes. But my Reaper buddies yeah. are going, don't do it, don't do it. Uh, yeah. But um, I'm, on a, I'm on a session tomorrow as so a, a Cubase, so I'm going to be back in Orlando Cubase tomorrow. And uh, seeing those things and knowing the kind of Cubase workflow, I think it's, a, you know, for instance, the quick controls. That's a, a Cubase thing, which is very, well, you know, quite a quick way to map uh, door-specific parameters or parameters for um, controlling VSTs and stuff. Uh, so that integrated into a physical unit does make a lot of sense and they've got their kind of uh, ai knob as well haven't they which is like wherever the mouse is it's a bit like a an innovation have got a similar yeah. thing wherever the mouse is whatever control it's over then that knob is going to be you know you've got a physical controller for it and that's going to be on one of the devices i noticed as well so you know that kind of integration of the software and the physical thing i think it's brilliant 
However, the flip side and the the obvious competitor to this is the iPad and also all the other kind of tablet devices in that effectively that can be all of those units just very you know in in one device um you know so this is this is what uh i don't i think the kind of tactile click yeah i i think there's something about actually having you know a tactile i mean touch is great but it's also is nice particularly for for rotary controllers knobs just don't work on touch for my point of view you're absolutely right you're absolutely right and i think uh you know i think that you know, like Rich was asking, you know, was pondering about the build quality. And if they've got, if they've got that kind of, um, you know, that really nice tactile control, if they get it right, if they don't skimp on that, and if they make those knobs nice, then that's, I think, is where the kind of success of the product will lie. It's like uh, the uh, Focusrite liquid mix, the controls on these, the knobs, absolutely beautiful. They're like notched, and they're just really pleasing to turn. Um, I've got other, plenty of other devices where the knobs Which are, are not. Uh, really <laughs> rubbish to turn. Yeah. <laughs> Dave Spears. Uh, I think oh, sorry. Go, go Hans. I think that I've used the Mackie control uh, on a lot. I mean, it, it used to be a logic control, as we all remember, you know, specifically designed with logic in mind. And that worked really well. I tried it with various other pieces of software. And I think that it just, I would say, I would rule it out. It just, doesn't work. The only way it works is if there is a dedicated software hardware integration, and that's the way to go. I think everything else is so much compromised that at the end of the day, you start using the mouse again, don't you? Yeah, well, that's very true. Dave Spears, um, what's your kind of uh, feeling about uh, this? I mean, you're not a Cubase user, right? No, use it for testing. I was really intrigued. How did they get Justin Bieber? That must have cost them loads of money to uh, get Justin Bieber to do that demo. <laughs> Um, no, I don't know. Actually, it's weird. It <laughs> took me on a... Hans, actually, I'm going to be really flippant here. Hans, is, was that bloke a really posh German? I'm not sure. I, I, um, I know that... Uh, I, I was wondering, because I don't know the guy, I don't know how the videos are done, nothing. I know nothing about it. But there was one word in, in the video where I thought he's not a native English speaker. There was one... There's one word, I can't remember what it was. But it's Yamaha. 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 When he says Yamaha. That's funny. I know. He I'm says Yamaha. Intrigued. I was just very intrigued by it. He, so, he sounds I... like a German who was, who was educated in London. Yeah, Cambridge, I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. Wow, and he's, and he's doing, he's doing um, TV ads for very niche products. That's a specialist training course he's got. He's got, he's got a degree in, um, I don't know, Beeper-isms. marketing. We actually had a discussion uh, on user talk because um, I posted the video asking for feedback of how people thought uh, these these videos worked, and uh, the general perception here in Germany was, well, we think you know they're well done and they felt authentic. Everybody was quite happy. Yeah, no, I thought it was interesting because there's there's been so many kind of videos that have you know all attempted to be really funny and a lot of them have fallen short of it. Whereas this was actually factual and the guy, but it was the guy's accent that intrigued me. As regards the things itself, uh, exactly what everybody else has said, really. So nothing more to add. Apart from the fact it took me back to, there was a little memory lane trip. Chris and I did the Fat Boy and we had this sort of dream of a modular controller called the Fat Controller. 
because we just like the name. And we went round asking all. We went round one messer asking like people, uh, like all of the eMagic guys to sign NDAs and all of Native Instruments to sign NDAs, and they all did. And we never did anything with it. We had a couple of prototypes made, nothing. But I really like the idea of being in a vocal booth and having transport controls in front of me and being able to kind of just rewind and erase takes and do stuff like that from well, a distance. So there you go. We can do all that. I mean, the one thing that does strike me is, obviously, I mean, you could get, I don't know, is it a notional maximum of, what, 16 of these things? I mean, how much power is that going to draw? It's going to be a, a, a push for quite a lot of hubs. Oh, look, there's Gaz with his... Uh, would you like to show us that again? That's the... Uh, what was that? The uh, Frontier Designs uh, control thing. If you have to speak, and then your video will become large. Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. There I was is. just trying to do it. Dave was saying about a remote control, but I there mean, we go. That's, that's good. One. It's dedicated. Yeah, this was in yeah. about 1764. I think we had this idea. <laughs> I mean, do you think that is there going to be a problem? I guess. I mean, is there a notion? <laughs> is there a limit to how many uh, USB devices you can have on a bus? Anybody? Hundred something. Hundred and twenty-eight. Yeah. Is it maybe? It's... 147, says Mac Doctor in the chat room. Yeah, we're just making this that up. Was, right. anybody, anybody else? 127, a.k.a. Tinley, Slovenia. And uh, Mac Doctor says 147. <laughs> no, okay. Any anybody advance? More? 127, USB normally. Uh, right, okay. <laughs> well, anyway, thanks very much for that. That was uh, the, 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 the new Steinberg CMC controls. In fact, if you want to see them, uh, there's a BPM show this weekend in London. And I know that uh, Steinberg are going to have them. We have an appointment, so we will be shooting video of uh, them in action and hopefully have some sort of presentation. So we'll get an idea of what the feel of the quality and all of that stuff is like. I won't be there. I'm actually going to be. It's not in London. BPM is going to be at NEC in Birmingham. I'm going to be in London. It's uh, my delightful partner's uh, birthday. And we're going to London to do uh, to see the Queen and go on the London Eye and all of those things. But anyway, I just thought it'd be fun. So now... I think I would like to say welcome to our sponsor. Obviously, this is Yamaha and their uh, wonderful pocket track recorders. This is the C24 and W24 recorders. These are some of the small, well, if not the smallest fully featured pocket recorders you can currently get in the world today. 24-bit, 96 kilohertz. The W24 also features... Uh, large stereo mic, wireless remote control. It's got 24-bit 96K, superior battery life, up to 38 hours recording time of PCM, and it's got a wireless control. So you, you can stick it on a mic stand up, you know, somewhere high, and control it from there without having to get on a stepladder and get it rolling before the performance and pause it and all that business. Very useful. The C24 is uh, apparently the world's smallest and lightest 24-bit 96 pocket recorder from Yamaha, and it allows you to record quality anywhere. It's kind of like a mini digital, um, it's like a dictaphone size but really high quality audio uh, we urge you to go over to uh, yamahasynth.com yamahadownload.com find out where your local yamaha dealer is in the uk you're looking for a pulse store which has a store within a store and allows you to uh, go in and handle the goods maybe take some memory stick in there and record some stuff take it home see what it sounds like check out the onboard limiting and all of that business and you're in the u.s any of the major dealers do check them out if you do buy anything tell them we sent you and it'll make us look good. And they'll just keep coming back for more. Because that's what we want, ultimately. Anyway, thank you very much to Yamaha for their continued sponsorship of, of the show. Ah, midi pipe, midi pipe. Dave, if you don't mind, would you just uh, press the button, please? Can I press the button? Yep. Midi pipe on Sonic Talk 236. And it rocks. There we are. There you go. Now that, uh, for, you, for those of you who don't know, is uh, the power of a program, a little program called MIDI Pipe. I actually play a little introductory video because this is uh, where I got uh, turned onto it. And in fact, it's what I'm using to switch the show. I mean, admittedly, I'm not fluent in it just yet, but it won't take long. Hey there, Randall Bennett from the website techview.com. 
And uh, let me show you a quick thing about MIDI and how I use MIDI to make the show work. So my wife was nice enough to get me this MIDI keyboard for my birthday. And uh, it's called the Korg Nano Control. It has these buttons and sliders, and these buttons can be configured to send whatever MIDI message you want. In my case, I'm using them to send specific control cues. Uh, and they, you know, the buttons light up. You can configure it so that the buttons uh, can be held down. Like over here, you can see I have this stop button, uh, and you, it'll stay actually pushed down. You can see it's still red. Uh, so yeah, you can configure them however you want and configure them to do a variety of different crazy things. Uh, I'm going to show you right now in a little split screen action uh, what's going on on behind the scenes over in Wirecast. So the software that I use to control everything is called Wirecast. And uh, it lets me you know, set it up like a regular TV switcher. Um, and let me actually start recording over there. So I'm going to push this uh, red record button, and it'll start recording over in Wirecast, as you can see next to me, hopefully, if I can put it right. So it starts playing, and then it brings in, and now I'm looking over at that other camera, and you can see I'm up there with the lower third, music's fading out. Um, and now if you look over here, I'm going to, um, I really, it's hard for me to see in both ones. Now, if you look, anyway, that's actually starting to get a bit dull. I'm sorry about that. I didn't mean to input, but the idea is basically this MIDI uh, MIDI pipe software takes incoming MIDI signals and transmits them uh, and translates them into a variety of other things. If you see here on my MacBook Pro, I've got uh, if I can just I can zoom the screen in, I believe, and you'll be able to see uh, what's going on here. Uh, I've got uh, an Apple Script thing going on where it's now it takes. I'm taking the the keyboard, uh, a button from the M Audio Venom. MIDI pipe on Sonic Talk 236, and it rocks. And that's just triggering a script that basically says, do, you know, say, say those words in the finder. And it's really that simple. And it, it, it's got an enormous number of potential um, uses, because obviously you can turn any MIDI signal into an event that can control a program. And uh, since I've discovered it, I've noticed people people are using it live. They're using it to trigger lighting events because you can take a MIDI and retransmit that. Um, MIDI pipe, very very useful. I just thought, uh, and it's free. It's by a guy called Nico Wald. And I just think, what a brilliant piece of software. Anybody else got anything like this, or could you think of a use that you could uh, apply it to? I know Dave has been struggling to come up with one. I'm, I'm, I'm maybe I'm, am I the only person that actually came up with a I use for I thought I'd this? do something similar and just have it linked into the kitchen where it goes, more coffee. <laughs> 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 is it just me then? Hans, help me out. Non-Eric, is there anything that you could use it for? I mean, is it, is it useful? Yeah, for controlling wirecast. <laughs> That's it. Is for that example. it? <laughs> <laughs> Camp twist, uh, anything. I mean... It's probably uh, very, very useful in a lot of areas outside of audio. The other thing that is useful, uh, when I did a review of the Chaos Pad Pro, I figured out how to map the keys on the keyboard into note data that the uh, Chaos Pad Pro would understand by trigger, uh, mapping notes to particular controller values. And I think that this would be useful in that, so you could use it for, for that feature as well. Perhaps just me, then. Where's that tumbleweed? Yeah, I, I, no, I've got I, the tumbleweed. Rich, I uh, I actually used this thing some oh, years ago, and I had a use for it. And the use for it was this: I wanted to be able to just reach over and have a keyboard live patched to MIDI output without having to launch a DAW in my computer, just always ready to go and not dependent on what the scenario was. And there were it was some years ago, so there weren't other as many other options, and uh, it worked very well for that. And I know guys who've 
either been pining away for or held on to their opcode Studio 5s because of all the stuff they could do in OMS, who would probably be thrilled to be able to do it, you know, in MIDI pipes. So uh, guys who run complicated live MIDI rigs and things of that nature might uh, find this stuff useful. And I, like I said, I had an incredibly simple use for the thing, but it worked. Well, the thing is, you can also pass the stuff through, so you can interpret it and part and pipe it out. And also, uh, you know, you can use. I was wondering, actually, I mean, if I get really adventurous, that I could start splitting out and having note events for things like muting the channels. Uh, you know, so we because often I have to send the feedback and we get this delay that happens, and I might be able to get. So when I play a video, it mutes, uh, unmutes, and mutes the channels that sends the video audio back to you. You know, things like that. I reckon it could probably handle. And I'd say that there's just a lot of potential use for it i don't know Peter, is there anything like this on windows pj that's a very good question um since i only had a chance to look at this this morning i wasn't able to look you know to look that up i'm not i'm not aware of something like this because i haven't uh discovered a use for it in my own setup yet but looking at this it's intriguing because alongside of the kinds of uses that have you know that that everybody has been mentioning i could see this as being fantastic for you know, for putting on some kind of multimedia presentation or integrating multimedia into a live setup, um, like Hans was saying. And as you're using it, Nick, um, it'd be great for all kinds of things that are extra musical or non-musical in a musical context in a in a live setup. So, you know, switching images and and uh, and lighting and things things of that nature be fantastic, as well as as well as an. Uh, as rich was intimating a way of of um you know handling large and complicated midi rigs yeah. live yeah yeah absolutely. so yeah i'm going to definitely look into into a windows alternative for this because it's uh it's pretty cool yeah i think it is it works it works and it's rock solid i mean i've been running it for days without it crashing or anything and it's sort of it seems to work absolutely fine gaz have you got to, i i just have a feeling you've probably heard this and been using it for all sorts of amazing things or am i wrong well, um, I'm I'm working out now, sort of, because um, I'm sorry, I'm so boring. I've talked about iPad, but because I'm sending MIDI in, I'm just wondering if it just means I could just do some quite interesting stuff with what I'm doing on the iPad. Because um, maybe I wonder with uh, OSC, you know, if there was or anything, could you? Because you can turn that into MIDI, can't you? And then uh, oh well, like translate to, to translate it. Yeah, I'm not sure if there's a layer that does that, but I'm guessing it might be quite straightforward. To, I can have a look. Um, let's see if I've got it here. What uh, what uh, modifiers are, there are? Uh, um, I'm not sure if it does actually, but I, I mean, maybe the guy would uh, would would make something that did. Okay, sorry. I, other than that, I'm uh, I'm not really got much to add. <laughs> So this is it's almost a tumbleweed topic. I seem to be the only person in the whole world who's actually found a use uh, and is really excited about it. But the, hopefully you're enjoying the benefits. Here, I can show you what the benefits are. I can flash between video very, very quickly and uh, mess up the, the stream and do all that. And all that little box out shot there. Excellent. So anyway, thanks very much uh, for that. That's uh, MIDI Pipe. Uh, you can get it from web.mac.com, uh, Nico Wold. Uh, do a search for MIDI Pipe. You can find a download for it. It's pretty straightforward. Uh, in fact, I think Dave was just about to... MIDI Pipe on Sonic Talk 236 and it rocks. <laughs> there we are. Just as we <laughs> hoped it would be. So what else have we got here? Ah, um, next thing to look at. Um... 
Welcome to the Mbox Listening Challenge. So we've been getting a lot of positive reviews and feedback on the all-new Mboxes, and um, we've also heard from our customers that you guys want to hear the Mbox compared to some of the other stuff on the market. We know that's kind of hard for our customers to do, so we wanted to create that opportunity for you. So what we've done is we've taken some of the great products on the market with four built-in mic preamps and similar features, but that are three to six times more expensive than Mbox Pro, and we put them all to the test. We put them all in the studio together, running on different systems, so you can really hear for yourselves how the Mbox stacks up to the competition. Avid asked me to come down and take I, a look. I won't play the whole thing again because uh, it's just an end. But let me show you uh, the web page resulting is you have uh, Listening Challenge Part 1. We've got the Avid Mbox Pro, Prism Sound, Orpheus, Apogee Ensemble, RME Fireface, UFX, and uh, you can play the... Uh, I, oh, I haven't got it on this machine, but uh, that's what it looks like. <laughs> Nicely done there, Nick, again. Um, so I know, Hans, you have done some listening challenges. First of all, uh, actually, first of all, did anyone try it and get it right? Yep. Dave? Yep. Did you? I, I, I must admit, I didn't. I got A's all the way. Wow. And you know the scenario. Shall I tell, it, shall I tell wow. people the story? Yeah, but get this. So I've got this ear weirdness that goes on, and some mornings uh, my left ear's totally screwed it just feels like it's kind of full of water and stuff so i came downstairs and on those days i have to kind of just not go out for a walk for a bit and not do any audio otherwise it tends to aggravate it and certain frequencies feels like they feel like they kind of resonate in my skull like a like a dodgy filling put it that way so i thought i better go out for a walk and then the uh, podcast topics came in and i thought ah oh, go on torture yourself so i did this and I did it with a completely wonky ear. So now I've decided that I'm entitled to go on every single audio forum and announce how brilliant my ears are, even when they're screwed. <laughs> so you can all have the benefit of my wisdom. And anyone who tries to shout go me down Dave. using scientific, uh, scientific techniques, I'm just going to go, well, my ears are better, which sounds an awful lot like forum <laughs> talk to me. Uh, excellent. Well, you, uh, we, obviously, you won't be spoiling, uh, you won't be doing a spoiler for us, but uh, I, I couldn't really tell. I was listening only on the Mac speakers. I've had a chance to check it out again. But uh, what do you think? I mean, uh, Rich, did you get a chance to check this out? Yes, I did. Um, well, first of all, it's really shooting in the dark to try to identify them by name when you've never used any of them. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so like to rank them, you know, best through worst one through four is one thing, but to try to identify a sound with a product I've never used yeah. is playing pin the tail on the donkey. You know, you got a blindfold on you. There's just no real consistent way that said on input, I had it. Uh, I got a B and I only, I reversed two of them, but I had two of them nailed and the other two I had reversed and, uh, and on output, I completely flunked. So, um, I don't know. I knew what I liked better and I knew what I liked worse, but I don't know which one of those is which, but, uh, ultimately what it told me was, yes, the M box sounds pretty darn good. Yeah, I mean, I did review it, and I, one of the things that I did think was actually for a you know a USB interface, this it did stand out amongst you know the the general level of sonic quality that one has uh, in these devices. I thought it was pretty damn good myself. You know, I, I wouldn't say it was like a prism or whatever, but it did it did actually sound better. Hans, I know that you did a test. Is, I'm sorry. sorry. 
Is Mbox Pro a USB interface now? No, Mbox, it used to be a FireWire. I think interface. Mbox Pro is the FireWire one, but the Mini and the the regular one are both. Uh, as far as I remember, they are both um, USB. Right. This is the Pro that they were testing. Ah, okay. But I, I mean, the Just same preamps, I guess. In the interest. Of that. Okay. Right. I got you. Uh, I don't know. Is that right? I think it's the same preamp. I don't know if that's true. Hans, Maybe. help us out. Maybe it isn't true. <laughs> Maybe you could tell us. You did a test, right, on MuseTalk.tv. I, 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 I need to elaborate. I just warn you. Okay. First of all, all these interfaces will probably be using the same converted chips because there's only very, very few. Everybody uses the same. They all ha- just have different ways to implement them. Secondly, I think this whole test is bollocks because we're listening to a full-blown, mastered, pumped-up, compressed master file which will hide all the differences in converters. And if you got anything right or wrong, this is pure chance because you only got four options, A, B, C, and D. So this is a big marketing bollocks. Well, yeah, we Uh, know that. Oh, sorry. sorry. (laughs) And, and, And what we did is... <laughs> Sorry, Evan. No, go for um, it. You still, no, it's still good stuff. I mean, the point is, we did at musatalk.de. What we did is, we did a really, really elaborate test, and our idea was: um, is there an audible difference between interfaces in totally different price ranges? So we had a Focusrite, two hundred euros. And a metric halo, five thousand dollars, uh, five thousand euro. We did. Um, we, I had a tape that I wanted to convert to digital, and we ran this cassette tape through all of them, and we did a saxophone recording, also testing the mic preamps. What we then had were four different recordings, uh, four different recordings times two line and sax, and we down converted the six, uh, 96 kilohertz to 44.1 16-bit and MP3 192. So at the end of the day, there were 24 different recordings and they were all blind tests. And what happened is I couldn't hear a difference. Everything was totally down to subjectiveness. And the guy who owned the 5,000 euro interface he preferred the sound of the 200 euro focus ride. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. And he on camera, he says on camera, which is really funny, that his interface sounded too dull for him. So there are the subjectiveness of our, our the way we perceive audio is much stronger. We are not a test we don't have test uh, equipment in our ears. Yeah. We are emotional beings. So what he did is he liked a certain kind of roughness or compression or whatever it was in the focus, right? And he didn't like the very sort of maybe analogish, not, you know, maybe lacking a little bit of high end. And what, when you hear, when you start listening to all these um, different test stuff if you for yourself do a very very simple test imagine very very strongly you're listening to a very cheap line input from a very very cheap uh laptop 
Much like this show. Yeah, like this show. And then <laughs> take a go for go for a pee, come back, and imagine you're listening to a wow, a very expensive converter, and it's all been analog mastered or whatever. And you listen to the same recording once again. It will actually sound different to you because the. The, the differences are unaudible. I'm, I'm 100% sure by now because we've had all the listeners from MuserTalk take the test. Everybody had different results and it was all over the place. So I think we can forget about, you know, audible differences just on the converter and let alone on a master that has been heavily compressed and mastered. It's ridiculous. You can definitely hear... Um, differences, but then you need to stress the converters, you know, give them something very percussive or with a big ambience, stuff that really makes the converter have a, to do a very, very big job. When we did the line conversion and the saxophone recording, that was too simple a task. So even the 200 euro interface was not, dis not did, didn't um, have to struggle. come out as didn't have to struggle to compete with the 5,000 euros one. It's a very, very interesting subject. We have spoken about this before, haven't we? I mean, I'm sure there was a topic, I forget what it was now, where we talked about the, uh, uh, the surroundings and the state of mine and what have you. I'm not yeah. trying to say, but it's trying to sell something on behalf of a listening test that is not something that is really, uh, I think, it doesn't work. No, but I think all they're yeah, trying I mean, to say, I mean, from a marketing point of view, they're trying to say there's not that much difference between our cheap one and these really expensive ones. That's kind of what they're trying to say, isn't which it? Which is true. Which I would say is absolutely true without, I did take the test. I couldn't identify any of the interfaces, of course, but uh, I couldn't even tell the difference. <laughs> and if I would do it 10 times, I would get 10, 10 different results every time I take the test. Right. Well, anybody else care to to chip in? Gaz, I imagine you might uh, you, you might have yeah. something to say as well. I love what Hans is saying, though, and I think that you know, um, I think it's great. I love uh, you know, I love it when people bust the myths, you know, and because uh, there was a myth about sort of uh, using external clocks, uh, which which has been proved now, I think, to be uh, utter. Really, I'm not rubbish. So sure. Um, well, okay. using an external clock, uh, the clock's when you're only it. using one, right? Yeah, but if you're only using one device, yeah, oh, okay. you know, right. um, you know, and the logic was supposedly that you know that the clock would um, that maybe would exhibit less jitter and therefore you know the sound would be more solid and have a better better stereo image. Um, I've heard that in effect, though, with better clock, you know, better the Jet PLL. I mean, I, I agree. The clock inside most current devices is a lot better than it used to be in crappy sort of digital, you know, like the Korg 1212 or the, you know, the uh, what the Audio Media 2, you know, that sort of thing. But I mean, you know, nowadays the clock's better. So maybe that is just an evolutionary thing, then, sort of. Uh, so. I don't know, um, uh, Rich. I imagine you might actually have some uh, have something to add to this as well. But I, I mean, clocking, as far as I know, is you know, it does make a difference <laughs> as far as, as I've actually heard. Yes, I've heard it too. I mean, it's subtle, and they're all but it does. presumably running in on their own internal clocks as they perform this. I guess yeah. little demonstration. I think I, I agree with Hans for the most part, and I certainly agree with his basic premise. But I'm not sure that in the end, 
all subjective listening boils down to uh, a completely randomized set of of results. I'm not sure it necessarily leads to that. But I agree that this test is ridiculous because none of us have used any of this gear. So how are you supposed to identify any? Like I said before, if you had to say your favorite one through four, and you're right, maybe the next time I'd like two better than one or three better than one, or uh, it's not necessarily entirely consistent, but I don't think it's entirely random either because I I can consistently hear differences between different things. And I have performed uh, about a year, a year and a half ago, I did a shootout at a pro audio shop in New York. I brought my own source material and soloed different instruments and stuff through different interfaces and playback you know, and was able to switch between them and make my decisions about what I like and how empirical that is or whether it relates to what anybody else would like is an open question. But uh, I did reach repeatable results in my own experience. Can I just interrupt for a second? I know one person here in Berlin that also did the test with me and he can consistently hear differences. So there seems to be... A few people, I'm, I'm not one of them, there's a couple of people who have trained their ears well enough to be able to hear the difference. And the guy, I'm talking about Holger, he could always identify the 5,000 euro interface. He was capable of that. But I would say he's one out of 100. Uh-huh. So there you are. You're, you're very okay, special. Fair enough. You're very special, Rich. Well, maybe so. I don't know. You, oh, you can read you my results on Facebook and see <laughs> if I'm very special. But, I mean, I wanted to test the interface I had with the new Avid stuff and with some Apogee stuff. And I, I basically wanted to use whatever they could hook up for me in the store and try it out and see what the differences were. And they were at different price points, these interfaces. And I just kind of wanted to see whether or not I wanted to upgrade my interface based on the results of that test. So I think I think you can do, make it use. I think you can do something useful for yourself by comparing things and reaching a conclusion for yourself about what appeals to you. And and to that extent, it is very subjective, and it might work better for me than it does for anybody. You know, any of those other yeah okay. alleged genius. The most important point is that it, it it needs to work for you. And what I'm sometimes afraid of that we spend too much time. I mean. Considering how subtle the differences are, audible maybe to only a few, why do we sometimes spend so much energy and time instead of, because what happened in the, in the test was that obviously because the sex player was playing slightly different on each performance because we didn't split the signal and we didn't want to split the signal, at the end of the day we realized that how much more there lies in the musical content that makes you Draw, draw yeah. into something so much bigger. Well, yes, yeah, yeah, of course. And I should say that in my case, I only examined them in playback with material I had recorded elsewhere and brought with me. And um, secondly, that the conclusion that I reach after I, you know, define my little differences between them is you could make perfectly good music with any one of these. Yeah, of course. Because right now, the average quality of the gear has gotten to the point where the gear is really not the consideration. It's those kinds of elements that Hans was just describing about the performance and the the way you capture it and other aspects than the gear quite often. PJ, if I could just get you to come in here, because I mean, I know you just went through this process, right, to kind of get yourself a new interface. Yeah. Unfortunately, you you chose a uh, a, a Yamaha Stretch Steinberg interface. But perhaps, uh, what did you think of this test in general? I mean, does it have any kind of relevance? 
Uh, maybe not relevant. It wouldn't be relevant for me if I were using it to make a purchase. I found it. I found it interesting on on the way in on the input section. I I got one out of four, so I failed. I, I I correctly identified the Orpheus, and I was fairly certain that I was right in that choice, just because it seemed to me like it had the best base extension, high end, and there's there's a certain um way that the frequency spectrum tends to. Uh, present itself in those high-end interfaces, and I thought it, I thought it was that, and I was right. What was interesting is on the way out, and I don't know why this is. Having heard the converters on the way in, the the output of them was easier to identify for me, and I got four out of four, and I was fairly certain that I'd made the right choices in them because there was there was some kind of correlation between the A to D and the D to A conversion into in, my ears in terms of tonality um and i found that the that the least um flattering to me was the rme interface uh in in this particular listening test that being said i agree with both hans and rich i agree with hans in that i think that these are artistic judgments that are that we're making and shouldn't be made necessarily on on any kind of technical merit um it, always use your ears Always decide, does this sound good to me? And it doesn't matter if it's $200, $5,000, or or whatnot. If you can make music with it, make music with it. Uh, Along those lines, I chose the Steinberg interface for that very reason. I listened to it compared to interfaces that cost two and three times as much. Did I hear a difference? Yes. Was the difference negligible? Yes. And it made no important difference to my workflow. So I thought I'll go with the cheaper interface. It, it suits my needs. Yeah. Um, that, that being said, um, we are in an industry and as artists, um, many of us pride ourselves on our ability to get microscopic with our art. And if it means something to you to have every bit of the clarity and every bit of the the sonic quality that you want to impart to audio coming into your system and it makes a difference to you subjectively and not just intellectually but on an artistic level emotionally and audibly then you should buy whatever interface you know does that for you and if that's a $5000 metro metroholic uh metrocolo interface then by all means go for it and so with you know along the, the lines of what rich was saying i think it's very very important to sit down and make these judgments on your own in a controlled environment before spending the money on it and decide what you want um to address a question that you asked uh in the topic queue nick you said uh isn't it all about clocking um apparently it's not i had a discussion with a uh an electrical engineer friend of mine that knows a little bit about the subject and he was saying that um all of the components in an a to d converter or a d to d to a converter make a huge difference in terms of the signal quality that's going to pass through the system so that would mean the op amps um all of the electronic circuitry the power supply makes a big difference in terms of uh, imparting RF noise to signal. Um, so a, a lot of these, a lot of these considerations add to price point, um, especially with some of these, some of these smaller companies. Yeah. Well, the components are obviously key to a lot of this. I'm interested in comments in the chat room. Obviously uh, 
The let me see. Uh, it's uh, data. CR error says uh, it's 2011, and we're talking about cables. We should be talking about cable studios. That's an interesting thought. Down to it as well. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, we. I think I sent out a sort of rather flippant. There was a, a, a uh, an eBay auction which had a pair of RCA jacks which were going for nine hundred ninety nine pounds, reduced from two and a half thousand. And it was just you know that we've talked about this before. There is very much smoke and mirrors. It's whatever works. I mean, I think you also got to have trust you know if you think i'm going to go to this effort i'm going to record this stuff i don't want to lose anything or i don't want to lose an unacceptable amount of stuff coming into my system you know if you can trust it then it's one less thing to worry about but whether you need to spend you know thousands and thousands of pounds on that is as you say it is a very personal decision down to you really and there are obviously other features that you yeah. get as you spend more money is, isn't it up yeah. isn't it often also a scapegoat a scapegoat in terms of that Artistically, I don't know where to go. I have nothing to say. So I spend all my time discussing in forums, equipment, trying out equipment, making up my mind about equipment and plug-in testing and workflow testing. And Don't oh, knock, it. Don't knock your don't hands. Isn't that how we make our living? But uh, there is... Uh, yes! <laughs> Mac Doctor says, uh, crap in, crap out, uh, which I would also, you know, <laughs> there we go. But yes. I, I take your point. Perhaps we may dwell a bit too long on this, but I, before we uh, move on to anything else, I just wanted to say uh, thank you very much to uh, another show sponsor, and that is uh, MacProVideo.com, and they have a number, and a huge number of video courses, and they'll be able to help you how to get the most out of your... Oh, I've lost my mouse. Out of your uh, audio and uh, software... Uh, lots and lots of training through from them. Uh, do check them out. If you want to save 20% on any of the downloads, then just go to uh, sonicstate.com MPV, where if you go there, you get a sort of bounce out where you get a coupon that will allow you to uh, save 20% on any of these these fabulous courses. Ableton Live Audio Plugins, Cubase, GarageBand, Isotope, Melodyne, Mainstage, Logic Pro, MIDI, Native Instruments, uh, there's some stuff on Machine, Reason, Sibelius, Soundmove, Redmatic, Akima, lots and lots of stuff there. So please, if you want to save 20% on that, just head over to sonicstate.com forward slash MPV. Thank you very much. Hello, my name's Phil Skins from Rolling Systems Group and we're here at Plaza 2011 and we're actually launching the new, brand new R26 portable location recorder. So we have the uh, uh, continuation of the very successful uh, recorder range from Roland. This is the R26 and uh, what we have is a six channel portable location recorder. It is a two plus two plus two portable recorder. And the way it works is that we have a pair of Omni mics left and right and we have a stereo XY pair built into the top of the chassis. We also have two analog inputs left and right and also we have a plug-in mic, stereo mini jack with plug-in power. Right, I'm not going to play the whole thing again um, but what that was, a uh, six-channel recorder touchscreen interface quite interestingly enough it seems we go through phases where there are sort of a whole bunch of new uh, portable recorders there's a, there's another one here this is the Tascam 4 which looks a little bit like takes the sort of H4N zoom model I know zoom have got another one out which is I think is the H2N which again is a four channel version but much smaller um, seem to be a lot of these about is this something that is going to have any use I've not I've not tried Omni and XY pair recording um, but uh, Gaz, I know you were keen on this topic. Is there something close to your heart? Will you be investing in one of these? I think it was 399 quid, so not actually that expensive. 
even though it does look like a 1980s mobile phone. <laughs> I like that. Um, I was going to say, I've, I've got a big interest in this kind of thing. Uh, I do lots of recording. Oh, I've got a slapback echo going on. Sorry. Go. Okay, thank you. Uh, and I do lots of live recording. And uh, I've got my current mobile recorder is a Sony D50, which uh, I think had... Um, it's a nice unit and it's uh, got really good mics on board and stuff, but it only records two channels. And, and I'm sure everyone knows if you're trying to do like a live recording, say you just want to take a live recording of your band, um, you know, taking uh, a desk mix and taking uh, a live sort of mic mix is brilliant. You know, that's what, you know, so having being able to do multiple channels is quite interesting. What I couldn't work out though, because with this new one, it's got a pair of XYs and a pair of Omnis uh, and it records simultaneously onto onto independent stereo track. It, but is it at the same gain level? Do we know that? Because uh, if you could record one set at a lower gain, then it would be like a nice fallback for uh, you know. To I, I just choose which was the best. I'm not sure whether you change the gain. I mean, obviously, you could, you would the playback level you'd figure out yourself. I don't know. Uh, mm. I don't. I, I think there is a separate gain setting for each set of stereo. Mm. I believe. All right. Well, that would be really cool. Um, you know, because obviously, you know, you you can sort of be kind of conservative with setting your levels, but still kind of get sort of clips and stuff. So if you had your other, if you maybe sort of used the Omnis as like a backup set of mics, you know, and then, um, I don't know, it's just, uh, those are kind of interesting things I thought with it. Um, but from what I understood with it, though, that there's actually four stereo inputs on it. You've got the XY set, you've got the Omni set, you've got the stereo plug-in mic, mini jack input and at the bottom you've got a pair of combi jacks as well but yeah, yeah those, they're, they're not oh, eight inputs four, you could you can only use three no three you've got sets four at a time yeah yeah and you you choose which out of those four stereo sets that you want to to use um very interesting i mean uh yeah i that to me looks like a very appealing thing i might have to sell my sony oh the sony's lovely is that the metal one with the kind of lovely brush oh they are pretty aren't they it's a nice really unit. Nice. Um, Rich, I know that you, uh, as as I am, is very fond of the Zoom H4n. I mean, I use it daily, practically. I mean, it's just a really flexible and great sounding device. You know, I mean, I, I suspect this might have uh, this. This is uh, that the one thing about this actually that I forgot to. I didn't let the video play through. It's got. Uh, I think that all the the the, the uh, level controls and everything is all transformer decoupled, so they're really kind of really hyped on the on the cleanliness of the signal going into the recorder. Is this sort of thing that you would find it useful, or is it just too big? Well, it's kind of expensive, but it's lovely, and it sounds great. It looks like a great product, and it supports you know full size XLR inputs like the Zoom uh, H4n which is one of the reasons I bought it. Not that I've ever, maybe once, but uh, hardly ever used them. But um, it's kind of expensive, but it, it is, it looks like a fantastic product. Well, because Roland and Ederol were one of the first people to kind of take out the, the, the portable recorder with the, I can't remember what it was now, the R4, the R4, the yeah. R series, aren't they? I mean, they were, they were the, some R1. Of the, the R1, the little tiny things. They were the kind of first people to, you know. It was then, the first of the solid state recorders. So, I mean, kind of useful stuff. PJ, have you got a recorder that uh, that you fall back on for remote stuff, or do you just kind of use 
uh, your phone or, you know, the you've, you've got a, a Flip, haven't you? Or a, not a, a Zoom H Q4? I do. I have that. I also have a Roland um, RO9 HD. Oh, okay. Um, <clears throat> I like both of those recorders. This, to me, looks like a more professional um, solution in terms of location recording. So maybe maybe intended also along the lines of like the sound devices um, All right, yeah, yeah. type yeah. model for, for, for film um, location recording. Like I could see this being very, very handy on, on location for film. I, I guess the only drawback is that you're relegated to using SD cards rather than being able to record to a dedicated hard drive. But I mean, there's, there's also, um, you know, some, some positive aspects of that, um, you know, that you can put a 32 gigabyte, um, you know, SD card in there is a, it's a very good thing. Looks like an extremely quality and interesting device. And if I was doing more location, uh, work for film, I would definitely put this top of my list for, right. for they, looking they at They did actually push it, it as a location recorder, didn't they? So it was... Uh, Dave, I know that you yeah. used to do location recording, didn't you? So, yeah. I mean, would this be... A, what would you use? Do you use Nagra and that sort of stuff? Or? Yeah, it's Nagras and uh, SQLs and all that kind of stuff. That was back in the old days. <laughs> when it was tape. <laughs> yes, it really was tape. And you'd, you'd plug it into the camera and then you'd have to follow the cameraman around and knock into him whenever you could. Uh, Any good? This I like that. I have to say, I did. I did really like the look of this. But I've already got an H4n and an H1, so I don't want any more stuff like this. But yeah. it did look nice, and like uh, PJ said, I think if I was doing location stuff, then it really would be top of the list. I don't know what it is about Roland stuff. Mm. It's when Gaz came down with his uh, Sony, I was like, oh, that looks really nice. But the Roland thing just kind of, I don't know. They always kind of look good. Mm, it looks like it means business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, equally as well made as the Sony, probably a little bit more so. So, uh, Hans, uh, I noticed you've been... You haven't had a go yet. So, uh, do you have a portable recorder? I mean, what do you use when you're doing filming, you know, outside broadcast to film, uh, to record onto you? Do you go via audio interface into a machine? Um, no. Now we got the two EX1s, which have uh, a great built-in... Uh, professional audio for the video, but occasionally we use the Canon 5D. And then you need to have external audio. And uh, sometimes it's preferable to have uh, multiple channels. And we are using now the Tascam DA10. Uh, I, yes, I don't know. And that. used to have a, yeah, and we used to have the Zoom, uh, Zoom HN, H4N, Did which have- is a. Uh, was it the H four N or the H four? The H four because H four N. Oh, okay. Or H four? No, the big. It's a big one. Uh, hold on, H4. let me hold up. This did it look like this? I'm going to try and hold it up now. Yes, 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 yes. Ah, okay. Yes, this one. And that is a. It's from a usability point of view, not so good. Battery life, not so good. Fiddly to operate. Um, that's why we went back to the Tascam, uh, which only has two channels, which is sufficient, but it also has a, a dedicated line-out that we can feed directly back into the camera so we can do um, uh, sync the audio up later. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, a very important, most important feature on a portable recorder, battery line. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that is pretty important. I mean, I haven't had any problem with the H4Ns. We use uh, lithium-ion batteries, which are really, really expensive. But they last like six times longer than anything else. They are much, much better. Okay. Than anything. 
This uh, this Roland's looking like it's got ten hours of record time on the battery life, which is pretty that's, good. That's not bad. Actually, they did well, they did talk about it, uh, special power technology they were using. Yeah, go Rich. The well, the H4N killer that I saw in our show notes was this newer Tascam that you had referenced, the DR40, which is basically very much an H4N and offers an optional battery pack, which will increase the battery life to over 50 hours. Wow. Wow. And uh, has XLR inputs, four-track recording, stereo microphone. It's basically an H4N in a Tascam package, and it's probably a little less fiddly, as as Hans says. The H4N is a bit fiddly. The menu structure is kind of, mm. kind of, you know, kludgy, yeah. But we all learn to deal with it. And, yeah, uh, but we're always under stress when we're filming, and we have to deal with additional additional audio, which is already a stress factor. And then you have fiddly, and then it. Everything goes wrong, you know. <laughs> no, I understand, and and I suspect the Tascam will be less fiddly, uh, but I don't it know. Is. I haven't used it. It is, Z- yeah. Z- I'm not a problem with the Zoom. Oh. I mean, we use them live. Uh, we yeah. use them in the shows, and they work fine. Sorry, go. Guys. No, I use it, and it works. I think it's a mushroom. <laughs> no, they're it's, not. It's Zoom suffer from uh, Zoom <laughs> suffer from. The the mushiest the mushiest buttons you know Zoom do don't they 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 just have mushy mushy feel on the buttons and uh, I think that's what uh, you know you want a bit of positive click action going on but this uh, that's my that's one of my issues with Zoom I just feel that their buttons are just the worst. Oh, I do like that about the roll about that new Roland is that it has dedicated rotary knobs on it. That's mm. fantastic. That would be great for location recording and a touchscreen, which is about as mushy as you can get. Yeah, I, I yeah, just, but I mean, if you if you're trying to adjust gain or parameters while while you're actually doing a recording, uh, there's you know it's it's no fun to be clicking those mushy buttons. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, that does make a difference. I mean, what would be really good with with any of these things is to save presets, so you have got kind of starting points because you know quite often the zoom we're going four channel or two channel, want to cut a low cut filter. Yeah, we could just kind of go there, store some presets. It would be really useful. The the Roland's yeah. got that. The Roland has that feature. Yeah, it, yeah, it looks it like does. you can do it. Looks like it comes comes with some as well. So that's that's pretty does. cool. Well, anyway, uh, I think uh, we are now um, at the point where we have to say goodbye because uh, I've got to pack up and I've got to go home and cook tea for my lovely family. Um, my daughter's at gym. Uh, which is more information than I'm sure you need. But I want to say thank you very much to all <laughs> our guests. Uh, certainly all of those in the chat room. I've been, uh, we haven't managed to quote you that much this week, but that's because I've been busy learning my new equipment. But there we go. Thank you very much uh, for your uh, continued uh, involvement in the show. That is uh, sonicstate.com forward slash live at 4 p.m. at a UK time. Uh, you can join us in the chat room with the live video stream. And also I want to say thank you. Uh, we'll go to my local guest first. We'll say... Dave Spears over there, g4software.com. Uh, I've now you. got a lovely split screen. Um, nice to see you. Oh, yeah, there. no, we can do that. We could do that, bye, and it works. Bye. See you later, there, Dave. g4software.com. Uh, I'm going to um, get a lift home, hopefully. Cool. Yeah. And also, ah. my, my other guests here uh, joining me via Skype. Uh, first of all, we'll say thank you very much to Non Eric from musotalk.de, the people that make fabulous German language, music technology and features and training, all that kind of stuff. Nice to have you again, Hans. Really appreciate you joining us. Thank you. And uh, we'll also say uh, Gaz Williams, songsurgeon.co.uk. Thank you for joining us too. It's been a pleasure as ever. Thank you. Yeah, love it. And Rich Hilton. 
There you are, resplendent on the right-hand side. Uh, Hiltonius.com, I think it's probably, it's much easier to say that as a URL. So if that's all right, can I use that as your, your current coordinates? Hiltonius.com. Uh, thank you very much for sure. joining us once again, Rich. Really appreciate it. A pleasure, as always. Thank you. It's always great to be with you guys. And finally, PJ Tracy from PJTracySound.com. Thank you for joining us, too. Oh, thank you so much, Nick. Great time, as always. Well, uh, I will leave you with a short video from uh, the the gentleman from Steel... Well, it's a very long video, but perhaps a clip of the short video from the Steelbury clones, uh, a, a chap called Martin Peters, uh, whose 100th video. He's often uh, puts a lot of topics up on his blog that are kind of good food for thought for chat shows like us. And uh, this is his lovely modular piece. And uh, I will leave you with that. Midi Pipe on Sonic Talk 236 and Bit Rocks.